Let's now prepare our hearts for God's Word. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. The second letter of Paul to Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. When we were in uh, Pampanga last April, we were hosted by Pastor Ding Bolos and his wife. And while we were driving from Clark, Pampanga to Angeles City, he shared how his heart was grieved over a close friend and a fellow pastor who is now believing in hyper-grace. Now, what is hyper-grace? Just as the name suggests hyper-grace, it is a distortion of grace, it is an extreme view of grace. And their message is, Jesus has forgiven all of our sins, so confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, they are no longer necessary. That's their message. And one of the famous preachers of hyper-grace is Joseph Prince. You know him? Joseph Prince, avoid preachers like Joseph Prince at all costs. Last week, I just received almost every day a message from someone who used to be from Living Word, and he keeps on sending me videos and preachings of Joseph Prince. And so I asked him, are you a frequent listener of Joseph Prince? He said, I love Listening to the teachings of Joseph Prince, I love. That's not a good sign. And so I asked him, but don't you find anything wrong with his teaching when you examine it under the light of Scripture? He didn't respond. And he just keeps on sending me videos of Joseph Prince and sermons of Joseph Prince. And many pastors in Pampanga love the preachings of Joseph Prince. They love hyper grace. And I think pastors in Pampanga even went a step further in teaching hyper grace. They want to proclaim an effortless Christianity. That sounds appealing, right? Effortless Christianity. And that's why a lot of people are believing in hyper grace. So they teach, Jesus paid it all. And since Jesus paid it all, why do we still have to work hard? Why do we still have to pray? Why do we still have to evangelize? Jesus did it all. So I guess we don't do anything for Jesus anymore? Imagine if that is the kind of teaching that you receive here in Living Word. Why gather for small groups? Why still gather every Sunday? Why not just sleep, right? Why come here? Jesus paid it all. We don't have to do anything. Now, to be clear, please listen. We don't earn God's favor through our good works or religious performance. It is only by grace that you and I are saved. Only by grace that you and I are forgiven of our sins. But grace is not just about forgiveness. 
Grace is also about power. Power that enables us to live a life that is pleasing unto God. Grace does not give us a license to sin, a license to no longer repent, a license to no longer confess our sins, a license to be lazy. Grace indeed has pardoned our sins, but grace has also granted us power to be victorious over sin. Grace is about pardon and power. Amen? Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but aren't we saved to serve? Aren't we saved to serve? Jesus paid it all. Jesus alone is the Savior, not us. He alone accomplished salvation, the work of salvation, not us. He did it in His life, death, and resurrection. We did not accomplish salvation, and we will never accomplish salvation through our good works. We don't serve God to be saved. But since we are saved, we serve God. Don't get the sequence twisted. We are saved by grace through faith, and we are saved to serve the God who is worthy of our time, worthy of our efforts, worthy of our all. One of the reasons why God saved us is so that God could use our lives for His kingdom. We all have a mission. We all have a calling. We're called to be true disciples of Jesus. And we're called to make disciples of all nations. Not just sit around in church and do nothing. We are called to serve Him. And we are in the last of the last days. Our world is getting worse and worse in God's truth. God's word is under attack. By Satan lies like these hyper-grace teachings and so many more false teachings. So what are we, are we going to do about it? What are we going to do with all these lies that are spreading? We're just going to shut our mouth and do nothing? There's so many false prophets and false teachers and they're preaching false gospels. And people are believing in these false gospels and they are false converts. And what do false converts do? They hire more false teachers. They look and hire for more false prophets. God has given each one of us a mission. God has given each one of us a solemn charge. Are you faithful to the mission that God has given you? Are you faithful to the calling that God has given you? Are you faithful to the solemn charge or the command of God that He has given you through His Word? Be faithful to your solemn charge. Amen. Be faithful to your solemn charge because God's truth is under attack. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 5, and let's read and let's all stand in honor of God's word. And God's word says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. 
Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your word is truth. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the God of truth. With so many lies, so many false prophets and false teachers, we thank you for the gift of your word that would guide us, that would grant us discernment. And I pray that we would be faithful to the charge, the command that you have given to your church, that we would fulfill our calling and our ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take your seats. 2 Timothy is the last inspired letter of Paul. And Paul at this time is waiting for his execution. And so what he does is he pens his last words and he addresses his last words to his spiritual son, Timothy. These are the last words of Paul. And 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, they are called, for those who are in IBI, do you remember? They're called pastoral epistles. They are letters addressed to pastors. Timothy is a pastor. Titus is a pastor. So it's easy for pastors like me, it's easy for us to see the connection, how we are going to apply the pastoral epistles. And so maybe right now you're asking, so what does the pastoral epistles have to do with my life? I'm not a pastor. Well, you might not be a pastor, but you're still part of the body of Christ, right? And we all have a role. We all have a part. We all have a job. And we must do what God has called us to do, and we must be faithful to the solemn charge that God has given us, whether it's from the pulpit or from your cubicle. We be faithful. We are to be faithful to God. Every part of God's Word is significant for us. Every part of God's Word is applicable to us. So what is our solemn charge in 1 Timothy? First of all, you and I must proclaim God's truth. Tell your neighbor, proclaim God's truth. And you don't have to be a pastor to proclaim God's truth, right? Proclaim God's truth. Verse 1 of, of 2 Timothy 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So here Paul is giving a charge to Timothy, which is significant as well to us. Paul here is, his tone is very direct, very emphatic, very earnest and forceful. This is very serious and solemn. I charge you. He knows that his life is about to end. And he knows that he needs to pass on what he has been teaching Timothy. And Timothy has now 
needs to now continue what Paul was doing in his ministry. So this is very serious. This is his last words. And Paul is saying, I, Paul, your spiritual father. In effect, that is what Paul is trying to say. I, Paul, your spiritual father, charge you, Timothy. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, I charge you solemnly, Timothy. Paul is very personal here and at the same time upholding his authority as an apostle. The seriousness and solemnity of Paul's charge is further amplified by the next line. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul is reminding Timothy that he is not the one that Timothy is ultimately accountable to. Paul is giving this charge in the presence of God, in the presence of Christ Jesus. God the Father and God the Son, they see, observe, and witness all that Timothy does. And Timothy is ultimately accountable to God. And the same is true for us. We are ultimately accountable to God. Not ultimately to a discipler or spiritual father. We are ultimately accountable to God. Because sometimes a discipler can make a mistake. Sometimes a spiritual father could wander off into myths. So we are to be aware of the presence of God. He sees us. The Father sees us. The Son sees us. God observes and witnesses all that we do. We are ultimately accountable to Him. Do not forget that. Jesus is He who is to judge the living and the dead. By his appearing, that is his second coming, and his kingdom, that is a heavenly kingdom. So Paul, once again, is reminding Timothy that Jesus will come back again. And he will come back no longer as a suffering servant, but he's coming as a sovereign king and as a sovereign Lord. And he will come to judge, and he will judge unbelievers to eternal condemnation. But he will judge believers as well, not for eternal life or eternal death or eternal separation from God, but he will judge us by our service to him. He will judge us for rewards. So this is the charge that Paul gives. It is a very solemn charge and we see it in his tone and we see it by Paul acknowledging the presence of God and the presence of Christ Jesus who's coming back to judge. And in verse 2, we find four commands, four imperatives. Verse 2 says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So the first command is to preach the word. And preach the word plays a dominant role in the command that Paul has given. Not only because it's the first command that Paul has given, but it is further amplified by the next command. The next command just amplifies preach 
the word. To preach means to announce. To preach means to make known, to proclaim aloud. And what are we to preach? We're not to preach morals. We're not to preach just values or just be, be a good person. We are to preach what? We are to preach the word. And there's a lot that Paul uh, gives in 2 Timothy, a lot of descriptions of the word. And 2 Timothy 2 verse 9 says that Paul is suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God cannot be chained. The word of God cannot be bound. This is what we proclaim, an unchained word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The word of God is not the word of lies or the word of myths. This is the word of truth. What we announce, what we proclaim is the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What we preach are sacred writings. What we share is to make people wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. What we preach is not an invention of man. This is not an invention of man. The source is not man. The source is God. All Scripture, not just some, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That is to say, He is the source. The source of the Bible. What we preach is breathed out by God Himself. What we announce is the word of truth. This is the glorious word that we have. Let us not remain silent. Let us proclaim the unchained, unbound, God-breathed word of truth. Amen? Let's proclaim it. And we find the next command, it amplifies the first. It says, be ready, stand by, prepare at any moment to act. Always be guarded, always be on duty. Don't take a leave, be ready, be, be prepared. Be ready in season and out of season. And in the Greek, this is ukairos, akairos. Now what's the common root word that you heard, kairos. Are you familiar with kairos? It means time or season. U means good or convenient. So it's a good time. It's a good season. It's a convenient time. It's a convenient season. But ah, akairos makes the word negative. So it's not a good time, not a convenient season. 
So what Paul is trying to say, Timothy, preach the word, whether you feel like it or not. Preach the word in season or out of season. Preach the word whether you find yourself in a good time, in a convenient time, or you find yourself in a bad time, in an inconvenient time. No matter what, Timothy, preach the word. That is what Paul is trying to say here. And then Paul gives another command. He says, reprove, correct, convince, point out to someone where he was wrong. Timothy, reprove. Don't shy away from correcting people. Don't be afraid when you're going to point out something that is wrong to someone. Obviously, you do it with love. You do it with kindness, but don't be afraid to reprove. The next command takes it a step further, rebuke. Paul is charging Timothy not only to call out sin, and that's reprove. You're calling out sin. You're pointing out sin. Rebuke is much stronger. It is calling someone to stop. Calling someone to stop displeasing God. It means to speak seriously, to warn in order to prevent an action or bring one to an end. So Paul is saying, Timothy, rebuke, speak seriously, warn, call people to stop sinning, call people to stop displeasing God, call people to stop breaking the heart of God. Rebuke, that's one of your duties, Timothy. And the next is to exhort with complete patience and teaching. It is to appeal. It is to urge. It is to encourage. And this exhortation is to be done with the attitude of complete patience. And it's done with the activity of careful teaching. So Timothy, Paul is saying, appeal, exhort, urge them, encourage them. Now, obviously, don't be self-righteous. Don't be pharisaical in doing it. Do it out of love. Do it with complete patience. Be patient with people, but continually teach them, continually exhort them, continually appeal to them to live for God and not for man. This is the charge that Paul gives. And I'm blessed by the example of Charles Simeon. And he was committed to preaching the Word of God. And he preached the Word of God with power and precision. But you know what? When he became a pastor in a church in England, the people did not want him. The people, the congregation, wanted another person. And they would be rude to Charles Simeon. They would disrupt his services. When they would see him in the streets, they would insult him. He was not allowed to preach in their evening services for 12 years. The congregation would hire somebody else to preach for the evening service, not only for one year, 12 years. And they would disrupt his services. They would lock the pew doors in Sunday morning. And you know, there were doors in the pews before where, where people would sit and they would lock all the doors. So it's very inconvenient for people who would attend. They would either have to climb up 
and go to the pews or they would just stand listening to Charles Simeon. And sometimes when he would preach, students would throw bricks at the windows while he was preaching. Imagine how stressful that is. What a hassle that is. That is a great opposition. Imagine me preaching right now and people are throwing bricks trying to disrupt the preaching of God's Word. But Simeon stayed for 54 years in that church. And gradually he overcame much opposition. That's about maybe 20 to 30 years of opposition. And he did it by honoring God and his son, by prayerfully preaching the word in good times and in bad, by reproving, by rebuking, by exhorting with complete patience and teaching. Brothers and sisters, will you be faithful to your calling just like Charles Simeon? Will you be faithful as a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a ministry head or a discipler or a cell group leader or as a father or as a mother? Will you preach the word whenever and wherever? Whenever it's a good time or it's a bad time, you're constantly preaching the word and you're preaching it wherever God has placed you. God has placed us strategically. We're not all in one company. We're not all in one uh, barangay. We're not all in one house. God has spread us out. What do you think is the purpose? God wants to use you to reach out people that are in your sphere of influence and relationship. Will you preach the word of God to your children in family devotions? Will you preach God's word to your friends and your loved ones? I don't mean that when you preach the, the word to them, you carry a, a pulpit with you. Uh, that you bring a pulpit everywhere you go, you bring it to the dinner table, and after eating, you, you pull out that pulpit and you, you bring your Bible and you start preaching at your friends and you tell them, repent. Now, I don't mean that you do that. I don't mean that you carry pulpits, and I don't mean that you have to shout. Well, pastor said you have to preach the word. Well, what do I see by his example? He's shouting, so I'm going to shout at my friends. No, you, you don't have to shout. You could just talk to them. You could just converse with them, right? You could just use conversations to point them to God. Will you go against the flow of this world? Or will you go with the flow and you want to be politically correct? You're not going to reprove. You're not going to rebuke. You're not going to exhort. You're not going to appeal but obviously, you have to do it with complete patience. You have to do it with love, not be legalistic. Be faithful to your solemn charge. Preach, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Proclaim God's truth. Proclaim God's truth. Faithfulness in our solemn charge involves proclaiming God's truth. And what makes our solemn duty so urgent is the fact that God's word is under attack. We are to be aware of the myths that are going on. We are to be aware even of myth 
seekers. They are everywhere. Verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 3 to 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul is saying, Timothy, preach the word in a good time or in a bad time. Now Paul is giving an example of a bad time. There are false teachers. There are false prophets. People are seeking after myths. People will not endure sound teaching. They will not listen. They will not put up with sound teaching. They will not hear sound teaching. They will be bored. They would be apathetic. They would be annoyed. And they would even outright reject sound teaching. Brothers and sisters, be careful when you don't want already to listen to the Word of God. Check your hearts if you're bored with sound teaching. Be careful if you sense in your heart you're already apathetic or indifferent to God's Word. Check your hearts if you think, you know, when is this sermon going to end? Or you think about something else. You're going to do something else after this uh, service. You're thinking about that. And you're not focused. You're not listening to God's Word. Be careful if you're annoyed by sound doctrine. You don't want to do anything with sound doctrine. Be careful if you're rejecting sound teaching. You open yourself to believing in myths. Each one of us will believe in something. Each one of us will believe in something. The question is, will you believe in truth or will you believe in myths? And just like... uh, the guy who keeps sending me videos of Joseph Prince, I try to ask him, I try to appeal to him. He doesn't want to listen. He just keeps on sending me videos of Joseph Prince. Be careful. People will not endure sound teaching, Paul says. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. People will have itching ears. You know, when you're ears become itchy, right? You just can't help it, right? You just have to to scratch it. You can't help it. You just have to scratch it. And people in the last days would have itching ears for what? For myths, for accumulating preachers who would just give them what they want. Not God's Word, but they would just give feel-good sermons. They're not looking into, is this biblical? They just want to feel good. They just want to listen to feel-good preaching. No matter what, even if that person is living in a life of sin, in a lifestyle of sin, he doesn't want to hear sound teaching, sound doctrine, just want to hear what lifts up my self-esteem and self-worth to make me feel good. And Paul is saying... Timothy, a time will come when this would happen. 
Even if at that time, Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus, and there are already false teachers in Ephesus. But Paul is saying there will come a time that is much worse, and the time is now, right? The future is here. There's so many false teachings going on. There's so many false prophets, and they are spreading rapidly, especially in this digital age. People would have itching ears. It would not be satisfied until they accumulate for themselves false teachers who would just scratch their itch and just talk about the passions that they have, the lusts in their hearts, the desires that are not pleasing unto God. And it's happening right now. Amen? You probably uh, know about my dad's spiritual father, and during one of the mentoring sessions that we have with the pastors of Living Word, my dad shared how sometimes he would doubt whether he did the right thing. In his mind, he knows that it's the right thing, but sometimes in his heart, he feels as if that if he stayed longer, maybe he could appeal, maybe he could convince his spiritual father not to get into this. His spiritual father would proclaim a new paradigm, and what he's saying is that, okay, don't bring Bibles, don't uh, share Jesus in public, don't pray in public. He's ashamed of the gospel and of Jesus. And this is the kind of teaching that he wants uh, the church that we broke out from, he wants this to be the teaching, the theology now of that church. But my dad, even with his doubts, God confirmed to him that he did the right thing. Because right now, his spiritual father is an apostate, does not believe in the Bible anymore, does not believe that there is objective truth, all truth is relative, doesn't believe in the resurrection anymore. He and his church did not endure sound teaching They trained and discipled and accumulated teachers to suit their own passions. They turned away from listening from the truth, and they turned into myths, wandered off into myths. And the myths that they have is health and wellness. The preachings that they would give are, I'll give you an example, the benefits of cacao and camote. So for this morning, this afternoon, and the rest of the services, that will be the message, the benefits of cacao and camote. They are promoting diet and exercise, and they're making it more important than spiritual things. They have a series on the warrior diet. They would exegete movies like The Last Samurai, and so they would play a a clip and pause it and give some lessons from that video clip. And they would exegete uh, the last samurai, you know how long? For two years. Imagine that, for two years. They would get into wushu. Uh, they would get into patriotism. They, 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 they love Jose Rizal. They're into CrossFit. They're into carpentry ones. And, and now they're applauding the LGBTQ movement. They're seeking one myth after another. They are wandering off, picking up one myth 
after another. And they're just going through a downward spiral. They started out right, but ended very badly. Now the question is, how sure are you that you would not end up like him? How sure are we that living word would end up like that former church? We are to constantly teach truth, amen? We are to constantly preach truth, constantly expose ourselves to truth. And that will guard us from the lies and the myths. It's just like the bank teller, right? He's just so used to handling real money that when fake money comes, he's, he, he's able to spot fake money because he is constantly exposed to genuine money. And the same is to be applied to us in terms of God's Word. We are to constantly meditate upon God's Word. Are you still reading your Bibles? Are you still having your quiet time? Are you constantly exposing yourself to truth every day, every day and every night? Are you going, picking up your Bible and reading it, meditating upon it? Are you constantly being exposed to truth every day? And when you're exposed to truth every day, it's easy to spot when a myth comes. It's easy to discern when there is something that is not biblical, amen? Constantly expose yourself to truth. And in listening to sermons, are you passive? Are you passive in listening to God's word? Are you just, you know, listening but not actively engaging with the preaching of God's word? As the word of God is preached, are you examining your heart? Are you engaged with the preaching of God's word? Are you searching your heart? Are you asking for God's strength and God's power? You can pray while the preaching is ongoing. You respond to God's word. You could confess your sins even right now. You don't have to wait for the end of the sermon. You actively engage with the preaching of God's word. Don't be passive. Don't be a passive listener. Don't let your mind wander into thinking about naami doa sa barangay unyang gabi nakuna naka no unsa imong mga moves and all of that or lamia sa unsa crispy pata unya sa party na kung atuan no nagsigi kag tanaw sigi kag tando pero wa day ka naminaw no you're thinking about basketball you're thinking about something else you're not actively engaged to the preaching of God's word be careful. Satan can trap you with a myth or an error if we are not actively engaging to God's Word. Discipline your mind and heart, listening intently to God's Word. Be a Berean Christian. Amen? Be a Berean Christian. Don't just accept everything, even from what comes out from this pulpit. Search the scriptures. The pastor is not the final authority. Amen? I'm not the final authority. The final authority is the word of God. Constantly expose yourself to truth. 
Small group leaders, disciples, are you studying God's word? Are you desiring to know how to accurately interpret God's word? Are you reading solid books on the attributes of God or the person and work of Christ or the Holy Spirit? Are you investing in books and in trainings and in conferences? Are you constantly exposing yourself to truth? You and I also need to be aware of the false teachings that are going around, that are spreading. We need to warn people whom we know that are listening to false teachers and listening to false teaching. We need to share the truth to them and we share it with love. Don't pick a fight. Don't try to debate them, but share the truth with love and with much patience. Amen? Faithfulness in our solemn charge involves proclaiming God's truth. The urgency of our solemn duty is clear because God's word is under attack by false teachings and false prophets. Paul will now give Timothy four more commands as his concluding charge. Paul doesn't want Timothy to fail in his ministry. Paul wants Timothy to fulfill his ministry. And this is also what I desire for myself, that I would fulfill the ministry that God has given me. And I hope that is your prayer as well, that you would fulfill the calling and the ministry that God has given you. So verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul is commanding, giving his concluding charge. As for you, Timothy, always, not sometimes, always be sober-minded. Timothy, you are to conduct your ministry in contrast to the desires and the passions of people. You go against the flow. You don't go with the flow. You be sober. Be sober-minded. And that is to mean to be clear-minded. Paul is urging Timothy moral alertness, kind of like coolness or presence of mind. Timothy, don't think or act like the world. Don't think and act like you're drunk or something. Be sober-minded always. Be clear-minded always. Be alert of the traps. Be alert of the myths. Be alert of the temptations even of Satan and of this world. Have presence of mind. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so that you would be pleasing God every time. Endure suffering. And that is to mean bear hardship patiently. Paul is saying, Timothy, don't give up easily. Don't walk out right away just because you have a little opposition or a little hurt and pain or even much opposition or much pain. Bear it patiently. Endure suffering. Timothy, I know it's hard. I know it's painful. But bear hardship patiently. And Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was to be a pastor, was to be a preacher, and he's not going to be preaching morals. He's not going to be preaching just, okay, be a good person. He is to preach the Word of God is to preach the gospel. 
the gospel that saves. He is to do the work of an evangelist. He must announce and proclaim the good news of salvation. He must, he must preach the good news. And one of the criticisms that um, uh, one pastor gave to my dad is that, um, well, one person was asking, what do you think about Pastor Mel? And he said, well, he has a big church, but you know what? Uh, he just preaches the gospel every Sunday. Uh, just uh, gospel every preaching. Uh, maybe he's saying my dad is not very creative and he's just preaching the gospel. Well, what do you expect a minister of, a, of the gospel to do? What are we going to proclaim? Our good news, our opinions, and be creative with God's word. Think out of the box. Think outside of the Bible. Is that the role of a minister of the gospel? No, we are to proclaim the gospel. I am a minister of the gospel. And we are a priesthood of believers. You and I are priests. And we proclaim the good news, the greatest news that anyone could ever hear. Don't shy away from that. There is no other hope than the gospel. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Preach the gospel. And then finally, Paul says, fulfill your ministry. And this functions as a summary of all the commands, all the charge of Paul. And Paul is saying, in, all, in light of all of this, this is it. This is the summary. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy, fulfill your duty. Accomplish your task. Complete your mission. That is what Paul called Timothy to do, and that is significant to us as well. Amen? One of my classmates in college, his name was Ryan, and we were both uh, in the youth ministry, and he's a worker. Uh, both uh, Ryan and I were workers in the youth ministry, and he's now a missionary in Thailand. And he took up mass communication, and so we're also classmates in, in college. And we had uh, a goal, and our goal was to share the gospel in everyone in our batch. That was the goal, to share the gospel in everyone in our batch and to follow them up and disciple them. That was our goal. And we would share the gospel even to people outside our batch, different years, different uh, department courses. But we had uh, a specific goal that we wanted to accomplish. Uh, we wanted to complete sharing the gospel to everyone in our batch. And so we would talk and we would... Uh, strategize and I would ask him frequently have you shared uh, the gospel already to, to that person so he would answer either a yes or no if it's a yes praise God if it's a no do you want to share the gospel to him or 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 I'll do it and we would talk and converse about that whether that person has been uh, evangelized or not and we would do that until we completed our mission we would share the gospel, we would follow up people, we would invite them to small groups, we would have Bible studies, we would look for vacant classrooms and we would have our Bible studies there. And one of our professors uh, heard about our Bible study 
and he was intrigued to know that there are teenagers, people our age, into this, this Bible study stuff. And so he was curious, he asked about it, and he said, could I feature this in the news? And I said, uh, why not? Why not? He was in ABS-CBN, and ABS-CBN covered our Bible study, featured it in the local TV patrol. Now, I was in a Catholic university, and... Uh, the priest and the administrators, they were able to watch uh, that uh, news feature of our Bible study, and they became very angry. And they called a very uh, specific meeting to address the problem, and the problem is me. The problem is Ryan. And so they kept asking the dean, who are these evangelical born-again Christians these students of ours in our university who's conducting a Bible study and small groups in our campus, do they have permission to use our classrooms? Why was their Bible study featured in ABS-CBN? So the dean called me to his office. He told me about what uh, the priest said. And um, all I said to the dean was, I understand. I understand, sir. I understand. Notice I did not say I'm going to stop. I just said, I understand. I understand. And so we continued on with our Bible studies and small groups. The classrooms were no longer available. They secured it. They locked the classrooms. And we would do things more of underground or outside. But we continued preaching the gospel and making disciples but despite the little hindrance and the little persecution by God's grace a number of our classmates came to faith and I pray that many more of my classmates would draw near to God and have a saving and personal relationship with Christ and by God's grace by God's grace God has raised up three pastors from my classmates one is a youth pastor, yes, praise the Lord. All glory to God. One is now a youth pastor in Living Word, Mandawe. One is an associate pastor in Living Word, Liluan. The other is a pastor in our Cebuano service. Ryan and I would have never predicted that three of our classmates would later on be pastors. All we knew is that we must preach the gospel. All we knew was to make disciples. All we knew was to proclaim God's truth. All we knew was to, to share the gospel wherever we are. And I praise God that God has raised up so far three, three pastors. All glory goes to him. Where has God placed you? Do you know that you have a higher purpose than just getting a degree? Do you know that you have a higher purpose than just having an income, having money? Do you know that you have a higher purpose than just having a career or having a business? 
God has strategically placed you in your school and in your workplace. God has a reason for that. God wants to use you to evangelize the people who are there to make disciples. God wants to use you. He doesn't need us, of course. God can still use somebody else. But it is such a privilege and an honor that God wants to use me, that God wants to use you. And God has placed you where you are so that he would use you mightily. Always be alert, be sober-minded, be aware of temptations and traps. Avoid them. Endure temptation or persecution or suffering. Evangelize. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of your Lord and Savior. Fulfill the ministry that God has given you. Charles Spurgeon is regarded as the prince of preachers. His influence in today's pastors and preachers lives on. Throughout his ministry and his life, he faithfully carried out his solemn charge. He proclaimed God's word. He was aware of the myths and the false teachings in his time. And when God's truth was attacked, he unleashed the power of God's word. Despite the constant struggles of his weak health, he suffered rheumatism, gout, bright disease. And after 40 years of powerful but also painful ministry, Charles Spurgeon's work was done. He entered his rest on January 1892, but two or three days before he died, he told his secretary, my work is done. My work is done. Wouldn't you want to end like this? Wouldn't you want to finish strong? That you would be able to say, At the end of it all, my work is done. I have fulfilled my calling. I have fulfilled my ministry. Spurgeon had fulfilled his calling, and there was nothing else for him to do but to wait for his master to call him home. You know what? You and I, our work is not yet done. Amen? Our ministry has not yet been fulfilled. We are still alive. So be faithful to your solemn charge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your word. Your word cannot be chained, cannot be bound. Your word cannot fail. Heaven and earth might pass away, but your word endures forever. Your word is breathed out from you. You are the source. You're the giver of your word. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for this word of truth. And we have such a solemn and serious charge that you have given to your church. And I pray, Lord God, that we would not make excuses, that we would not be lazy, that we would not procrastinate, but we would use every time that we have to proclaim your truth in a good time 
or an inconvenient time, in a good season or a bad season, no matter what, may we share the gospel. May we preach the good news. May we, may we share your word with complete patience, with much love and compassion and kindness. I pray, Father, that you would awaken us, those of us who have been stagnant in our faith. May we realize that we're still alive. There's a lot of work to be done. Our ministry, our calling is not yet done. We have not yet fulfilled it. But we desire, Lord God, at the end of our lives, we desire, Lord God, when you would call us home, that we would be able to say, my work is done. And that we would be able to thank you for using our lives in whatever place you have given us, whatever calling that you have given to us. Father, even pray for those who are believing in false gospels. I pray for the light of the gospel to shine. We pray for those whom we know that are believing in false teachings. God, have mercy. Grant them discernment. Unleash the power of your word. Snatch them from the false gospels that they are believing. And we pray for a lot of people, oh God, to be saved. And even in this morning, for those who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that they would turn from sin and trust in Jesus alone as their Lord and Savior so that they would be saved today and that they would be saved to serve. You are worthy of our all, all our time, all our hearts, all our minds, all our souls, all our strength. You're worthy, Lord God. May we give our best to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.